Welcome to Mary Jane Beyond. Today is going to be a little bit more of a serious topic for me, as I'm going to talk about the loss of a great man that, in fact, would be my father-in-law, Professor Govindaraja Lurigetti. This man, more than I had ever realized in all of my years, had the biggest and most profound impact on me as an individual. Growing up, I... My dad was an abusive alcoholic, and anyone who knows me on a personal level um, knows that we endured quite a bit um, during the time that my mother and father, my biological mother and father were married, and the experiences that we had as children and being part of that um, type of abuse and living in it and seeing it and feeling it. Um, we went through a lot as kids. I don't even know how my sister and I wound up to be as normal as we are because of the experiences that we went through as kids. And I'll tell everybody all the time that even with me and my sister, as well as my brother-in-law and my husband, when you set us all down, you wouldn't even realize that the same parents raised any of us because we all have different experiences with our parents, in-laws that have really formed the opinions that we have of them today. So my telling of my side of who my father-in-law is, was, um, to our family is my personal opinion, my personal experience. Um, and these are things that um, maybe I haven't shared with anybody else. But when I first met my father-in-law, I'm not the most trusting when it comes to just friendships and relationships in general, because I feel like it's very hard to put yourself out there, um, share the most intimate details of your life with people. And those people you, you don't have long-lasting relationships with them. Part of the reason why we moved to this small town of Warrington was we did live in Nova. We lived in Fairfax, and it was a very transient area. Like, you would go to the grocery store one day, and the next day there's new cashiers, and, like, you never saw the same person twice, no matter what you did. And for me, that was unusual because I was raised on the Eastern Shore in Maryland, born in Baltimore. But, you know, it was a very personable town that I lived in. Everybody knew everybody. You know, you walked to the corner store. It wasn't necessarily a grocery store to get milk, bread, you know, and all those staple foods. And so everybody knew everybody. And if you stepped out of line, everybody knew about it, sometimes even before your parents knew about it. So part of the reason we moved to this small town was because I wanted to be able to go to the grocery store and somebody be invested in me that um, knew that if I disappeared tomorrow, that I was somebody. And even today, we've lived in Warrington since um, 2000. And even today, some of the people that work at the grocery stores worked at those grocery stores back in 2000. When I was pregnant with all my kids, they used to say, you know, hey, Amy, like, how are you doing? How are the kids doing? How's Srinu doing? And that same holds true to today. So that was part of the reason we just pushed outside that Fairfax border and jumped to where we live now. No regrets whatsoever, other than the fact that I really wish that we were more submersed in um, the community community. Uh, out in Fairfax of like Indians, because I think our kids would have benefited a lot more from having that, that community. Srinu probably has a different opinion about that than I do. That's kind of why we wound up here. Um, but I really feel that for us personally, it was a great move to move out here. I just felt like we moved out here and all the reasons we moved out here were the right reasons. But 
again, you guys will find that this is a big thing for me. Hindsight 2020, I would have definitely pushed to have the kids more involved um, with Srinu's peers, his his college friends, you know, and that group, because I'm a firm believer that the Indian community is as strong as it is, because I, I kind of summarize it as a school of fish. And it's this community where everybody is in sync, everybody swims together, everybody, you know, they, they've got the same goal. And there are some that are going to fall behind. And, you know, those that fall behind, just they just get lost and they get eaten. And, you know, so this community strives to really keep themselves together and keep close and take care of their own. That's probably one of the things about the Indian community that I really love and admire so, so much. And I saw that in my father-in-law. It's almost like he, he lived a double life because we did not always get to see the professor that he was. We saw the parent that he was. And I personally had never experienced that. My dad and I had been estranged for many, many years. Um, and my dad was never a constant in our lives. Like it was just, it was almost like bragging rights here and there. And then my father, um, had a girlfriend for many, many decades, um, in which, we just had a lot of issues that revolved around feeling like we were traded. Um, and so when I met my father-in-law, um, while I wouldn't ever say that I heard from him, nor my husband heard from him, whether he approved or disapproved of our marriage, my father-in-law just went silent. That was kind of his prerogative was he just went into his own thoughts. He didn't kind of address the fact. And then when we wound up pregnant with our first son, um, I think that there was a lot of processing that happened during that time. And before we knew it, they had booked plane tickets to come out and stay with us, which would mean I'd meet them for the first time just a month or month or more before I was due to um, have our son. And so when I first met my father-in-law, it was interesting because his boys are like six foot, six foot plus. And when, when I met my father-in-law, he's like this little five- five, seven man of very, very small build. And my mother-in-law is like very similar, five, six, five, seven. And here I am like almost six feet tall. Serena is six foot tall. And I'm like as big as a house. And my father-in-law, that ride from the airport was super quiet. But after we got home and we started adjusting and acclimating and getting to know each other, you know, my mother-in-law at that time had typical fashion, Indian fashion had brought gifts and she had brought like every possible, um, uh, lentil from India, spice from India in these luggage, the, the suitcases and whatnot. And my father-in-law, I want to say that more my, more than my mother-in-law and I, my father-in-law and I started warming up to each other a lot quicker. And that could be because the language barrier was not there with my father-in-law as it was there with my mother-in-law because my mother-in-law spoke broken English at the time, whereas my father-in-law, you know, was more of a proper British English. And some of the, the jokes and stuff, he was a little bit more quick-witted to pick up on that stuff, even though he was still, I was his first real experience with um, unfiltered, you know, American, if you will, because even in India, they had a lot of uh, people from out of the country that would come visit and, you know, visiting professors and stuff. And my father-in-law, mother-in-law would entertain them and stuff like that. But for me, I 
really got to know my father-in-law and mother-in-law from the time that they would spend with us. And in that short time of just seeing how Srinu was with his dad and how my father-in-law was with his kids just really allowed me to understand that every father-child dynamic is not going to be the one that I experienced. And I think I saw Srinu in a new light as like a person when I saw him with his dad. And it was at that time that I started learning that the way that life is appreciated from the cultural side of India versus the way that life is appreciated from our side as Americans is was super different. And for an example, like my father-in-law, him and the way that my my mother-in-law and father-in-law, their marriage dynamic was, was certainly different than I experienced. My mother-in-law literally lived, breathed for my father-in-law um, from everything that she did when she got up in the morning till at night when she went to bed. Like he was her first thought and he was her last thought. And that was new to me because while my mother was a very good mom and she was always providing for us, we saw a shift in my mom from a mom when my dad left us. And I was very young when that happened. So to experience the relationship of my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, in so many ways was like a breath of fresh air because it was like old school U.S. <laughs> um, by seeing how they interacted with each other and the way that my mother-in-law put him first. My mother-in-law, even till today, has always been husband and family first. And I admire that. Some people look at that and they're like, no, you know, that they don't see it as right, like, because everybody preaches equality. But I feel like that just said a lot about the person that my mother-in-law is. Even though she didn't speak fluent English, I learned a lot about her initially just through her actions. And it really allowed me to see that whole phrase that we have, that actions speak louder than words. I can attest to that, that that's true. Because my mother-in-law, if she didn't speak a word of English, I could have told you today the person that she is just through her behavior. Every day she's consistent and she shows up and she does what she needs to do. And she's, it, again, I'll say it's admirable. And so to see that mutual respect in my in-laws, knowing that they had this arranged marriage, that just piqued my interest because I had never been subjected to the arranged marriage process in India, let alone um, experience what that looked like as an insider uh, firsthand. And so my father-in-law, shortly after uh, he was here, he very quickly became very at home um, in like just what he did, how he did it, how like I think that it was surprising to me because how much they were not accepting. Even though my father-in-law never said anything, my mother-in-law was extremely open about being so upset about her son's decision. But my father-in-law, he, it was almost as if it was a reset for him and he was not going to speak about anything past. I was his daughter-in-law. They came here just as they would in any other situation, anxiously awaiting their firstborn grandchild. And that for me, I believe was the point where I could to begin 
heal from the hurt I felt of not being accepted. I don't think unless you've ever gone through an experience, whatever that experience is, whether it's a relationship or it's a situation where you've not been accepted, that you can really understand what type of pain that causes a person. And so my father-in-law and I, it was almost as if it was just right from the beginning, it was natural. Um, And then I remember really wanting to learn how my mother-in-law cooked because I knew that Srinu marrying me was a huge sacrifice. That was him saying like, I'm never going to go back to India, India and live. When we had conversations before and he never thought he wouldn't live in India. Srinu never came to the U- United States, you know, getting a job thinking he was going to stay there. And I'm not going to tell his story of how he wound up here in the United States because I feel like that's for him to tell if he wants to share it. The experience is a little rather funny, but it's personal and it's his experience to share. But He never thought that, you know, once he got married, that he would stay in the U.S. and his parents would live in India. He always thought that he would just go back to India, get married and and uh, live with his parents and take care of his family as is expected. And so I used to think to myself, Srinu's sacrifice was always bigger than mine. You know, all he had was his mom and dad. And, you know, they do have cousins and stuff like that, but they've always been a very tight knit four. And um, I felt like if he was going to sacrifice living in his homeland and experiencing his his life the way that he's always known it, that the one thing I could do for him is allow him to feel at home through my cooking. Now, don't get me wrong. I was not anywhere near close to being a cook. I was the youngest. And so when my mom cooked, who is a very amazing Southern cook and cooks crazy good food. I never stayed in the kitchen and watched her. Whereas my sister was always being the oldest, was always in the kitchen with my mom too, helping. I was always playing and would be called for dinner. So I really didn't know how to cook. Yeah, I could cook some mashed potatoes, grill some chicken and uh, maybe boil some broccoli beyond edibility because it became paste as if it was for a geriatric patient. Um, But I really wanted to be able to learn how to cook Indian food the way Srinu's mom cooked Indian food so that Srinu, even though he would never tell me he missed home being with his mom and stuff like that, that I could at least give his taste buds what they needed in terms of feeling like he was having his home cooked food. So when I was pregnant before I had Bradley, I would sit every day at the counter. We had this like counter overlooking the kitchen. Um, I would sit at the counter and I would watch my mother-in-law cook because I wanted to like write down meticulously how she made things so that I could make it once she left. And there was a lot of situations where I was like, there's no way I'm going to learn to cook from this woman because the way she cooked, her style of cooking was not measure and and dump. It was, there was not a process to how she cooked. It was kind of, she was freestyle. (laughs) She was freestyling, if you will. And so one of the biggest things was being able to cook food that was familiar to Srinu that would make him feel less like he was missing out on being at home when in fact, this was now his home. And so I remember one of the things that my mother-in-law was making was egg curry. And my father-in-law was like, you know, I want you to watch that because I want you to cook for me. And so after watching her uh, several times, it was my turn and I had made egg curry 
And it was like the worst egg curry ever. I'd oversalted it because I didn't really understand that onions and tomatoes, how they take in that salt. And um, I'll just never forget the the look on his face because I know I tasted it and I was I wouldn't let anybody eat it. Um, but he was like, no, absolutely not. My, my daughter-in-law cooked this. I'm going to eat it. And that touched me in so many profound ways that this man who knew nothing about me other than the fact that his son chose to love me and I was now carrying his grandchild was that adamant that he was going to eat it because I cooked it. And that, it was just huge for me. And I remember after he was finished eating, we used to eat on these steel plates, you know, traditional um, plates that they would eat from in India, we had we have these steel plates. And so he was finished eating in natural fashion. He ate his curry and his rice and then, you know, yogurt rice. And then uh, I went to take the plate from him and he put his finger down on that plate. And he's like, no, 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 no. Nobody should take my plate. Only my wife can take my plate. And uh, from that day after, it became kind of a joke that when he got up to go into the bathroom to wash his hands, I would take his plate and give it to my mother-in-law. We would have this quick little chuckle about it. But that was the start of our relationship as uh, father and daughter-in-law. And I actually, at some point in the very beginning, never acknowledged my father-in-law as my father-in-law, except for when we were in passing with another family and we would speak of him, I would then refer to him as my father-in-law. But even in the living, I always called father by father. I never called him by my father-in-law. Um, so my addressing him was always father. And um, of course, Renu calls him Nana, but I felt more comfortable calling him father. And ironically, for my mother-in-law, I call my mother-in-law by Uma. And I call her, it's it's funny because you would think that I would call them with joint names respective to one another, but my relationship be, with them started very differently. My mother-in-law, who did not uh, speak fluent English, I didn't feel, com I, I tested the waters with mother, but it was so uncomfortable for me because it was it felt so formal. And the fact that English is not a language that she spoke um, comfortably, I didn't feel comfortable calling her by that. And I didn't want to call her mom because I have a mom. And I did not want to disrespect my own mother because my mother, my mother did so much growing up. And I feel like when you call somebody mom, it's almost a birthright in its own right, whether adopted or, you know, naturally being born. I feel like it's, it's something that has been earned by your mom. And I just don't feel that should be given lightly. And I also try to think if, if I, if my kids were in that same position, how it would make me feel. And so mom wasn't something that I wanted to call her. Srinu does not call her by mom either. Srinu calls her Amma. So I have since I can remember, I call my mother um, by Emma. And that is just, she answers to it. It wasn't something that was foreign to her. And that is how I feel about her. Like, I genuinely feel she's like my mom. Um, and I feel like that's the best title that I can give her that represents how I feel about her, but does not disrespect my own mom. Um, I do not call her um, by mother-in-law in Telugu because... I just feel it feels very transactional. And so um, since it's not my first language, that's not something that comes natural to me. So um, I struggled very hard um, with that and 
ultimately decided that this was how I would call them. So um, just for those of you who might be like, well, what does she call? Why does she call? Why? That's why I call my father-in-law by father because he was that to me. And I call my mother-in-law by Uma because she is that to me. Um, so that was like the, the beginning of my relationship with my father-in-law and then seeing how he almost immediately was like, no, no, no. I want you guys to go out and, you know, start looking at houses. Apartments are a bad investment. I, we hadn't even given birth to our son yet um, when this all happened. And then, you know, going through those whole experiences and seeing just how warm and welcoming they were to me. My mother-in-law and I, Srinu has this, this thing that he says that if you build a relationship super fast, the chances of it crumbling as fast are great. And I would say that in some of my greatest relationships, friendships, that has always been very true to the case. I used to think that Srinu, all this stuff was just, you know, some of these superstitions that they had. But Srinu, he nailed that. Like some of my best friends are friends that I like met them, but then over years, we didn't get close until we got close. Um, and then I have people who I've made friends with right away. And the amount of fakeness and unauthenticness that comes with that very quickly came to light. And then we just became acquaintances. And so I have to agree with that. And with my mother-in-law, it was very much the same experience because when she came in, I wouldn't say that she came in super comfortably. She came in comfortably with her son, but she was also testing her boundaries and one of the things, you know, when when they first came to the U.S., my mother-in-law would like check the the fridge, and she wanted to make sure, you know, that there weren't any like beef or pork or liquor. Like I, I knew she was looking for this stuff because I'm an American, um, and these were things that I don't have in my house out of respect for, you know, Srinu and stuff like that. We do eat steak, but I don't cook steak in the house. Those types of things, finding that mutual understanding of respect, and then you know, meeting my mother-in-law where she was, um, I think went a long way in even building my father-in-law's relationship with, with myself because, you know, I wanted my mother-in-law to feel comfortable, but at the same time, I knew that there was a lot of it, stuff at stake if I didn't like stand my ground because I did start a forum called Married to India and I was learning in the background what other people were dealing with and going through. So some of those things I wanted to avoid up front by not getting too comfortable um, by allowing her certain I would say certain access to certain things. Like we needed to keep boundaries. Like our bedroom needed to be a, a boundary. Um, my mother-in-law had always had it in her mind that you know, her mother-in-law really took charge of raising her kids. And I think my mother-in-law had had this hope that when her kids had kids, she'd play a big role in that, almost making up for the time she didn't have when her kids were that age because she would get that with her grandkids. And so this was the precedent that my father-in-law was setting with us. He, from the beginning, spoke with me about, you know, um, Tirupati. Like he told me that, you know, he explained to me this odd year wanting to make sure that his grandkids went to Tirupati and they had that experience. And, you know, that was super important to him. And I promised him at that time that we would definitely make it happen in the time frame that he asked. And I feel like I did everything to make sure that whatever my father-in-law asked, I honored it fully. Um, and so our relationship started strong 
And I would like to say that it ended strong. I, I kind of, I even think about the times when like we'd pick him up from the airport and we would drop him off at the airport and my father-in-law did not like to be hugged. And from beginning to end, you know, how it was almost like I broke him, you know, because at the end you could definitely tell that our relationship was the strongest that it had ever been. I think even one time I had gone to India and, you know, I had met, I found a photographer out there that I really wanted to meet. And so my father-in-law, it was the first time I'd ever gone to India and like not been there with Srinu and wanted to go out on my own. And my father-in-law and mother-in-law were not quite sure how to handle that because my father-in-law had told Srinu, if Amy and the kids come here, I'll personally be responsible to make sure that they're they're safe and taken care of. And I really wanted to go out and meet this photographer because I wanted to see how things were done there, not just sit in the house or experience things just from a family perspective. And so one of Srinu's upperclassmen who just so happened to be one of the witnesses at our wedding in the United States agreed to pick me up and take me um, to meet this photographer and experience what that looked like in India. And so um, he did. And I remember my father-in-law calling me in the midst of meeting with this photographer and like letting me have it. He was so upset that I missed lunch, that I didn't call them to let them know I wasn't going to make it for lunch and like what I was doing. And at the time, I remember him saying, Srinu would be so upset if anything happens to you, you know, he would never forgive me. And that was like my experience of like, what if what a father should do with a daughter? And I never experienced that out of, you know, any male parental figure I've had in my life. I never experienced that amount of concern, compassion, love, commitment. And my father-in-law very quickly became my father in so many ways, from the advice that he would give to the corrections that he would um, stow upon us, and then the experiences that he would share with us. You know, it wasn't until in his passing that I realized he had this whole second life, you know, with his students. And I knew that he loved those kids and I knew that he was committed to that college. And I knew that student life was his life. And um, he was so, so committed to education. I mean, I, I don't think I've even met a, a teacher till today that is that passionate about the education of of children and young adults. And so um, only after his pa- passing did... I come to know of like several students and listen to, um, in the U S we would call that a eulogy. Um, we would, when people like get up and speak and, you know, I had many, many students just tell me like, your, your father-in-law spoke highly of you. And I just never knew that outside of, I never knew, um, through his words how proud he was. But I knew because it was in his actions. And we used to talk to my father-in-law every morning and almost every evening up until his passing. So sometimes when we realized that he never was able to step foot in his house, that's tough. But 
I wouldn't trade all those 21 years that we had with him for anything. I feel like he's taught us so much about being parents and what it means to be parents. And to lose him so early was such a tragedy to our lives. My mother-in-law, I feel like she's just existing. You know, you have this arranged marriage and two people that definitely did not marry for love. She just knows nothing else. And sometimes during the holidays and it's so tough to watch her because she struggles to figure out what her new life is and how to adjust to a life where she's never been independent. And I just remind myself that in anything we do, any actions that we take, we should always ask ourselves, what would my father do? And with that first and foremost in mind, that is how we should approach every situation. My father-in-law will always remain a very strong figure in my life. And I attribute everything that we have accomplished as a family and everything that we are to him and his existence on this earth. If it was not for him having my husband and the way he raised my husband, the morals, the values, just the beliefs that Srinu has, sometimes it's hard to imagine that my father is traditional as he was and how much he embraced his own culture. It's kind of ironic that his son is the way he is today. Because my, you would, anyone who knows Srinu would definitely think that if they didn't know the fact that he was not married to an Indian, you would just assume um, that Srinu was married to an Indian girl. Um, and that's just because even though Srinu is not married um, to another Indian, he's not once forgot where he comes from or who he is. And I think that, you know, all of that comes from the way in which his father handled his son's decision to marry outside of his culture. And I think that as the days go by, I can't say that it's any easier to have lost my father-in-law, but I think you learn to cope and you learn to live and you learn that instead of mourning and being sad and thinking about what we've lost and what we'll never have, I think that as soon as you start replacing all those things with honoring somebody's memory, it does get easier. And that's where you just have to lean more into your faith and realize that at the end of the day, this is the circle of life. And whatever we are pouring into our kids is going to carry on long after we're gone. And that's just something I'm bringing to you because I'm bringing it all to light because I'm married to India. And guys, if you want me to keep going and you are enjoying what I'm saying and the experiences that we are putting out there, I'd love for you guys to subscribe, like, share, and follow me everywhere because in doing that, that's going to make us develop a level of comfort that we're just going to start sharing more and more. I can't wait to bring a 
bit of ourselves in person to you guys via YouTube. And as soon as we start seeing this traction, I think it's going to make us even feel more and more comfortable in doing that. So thanks for hanging in there for this podcast. Sorry about a little emotion that just got the best of me on this one. But we're going to talk about how we as a family are pushing through this significant loss in our lives. So until next time, see you guys then.